wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. A hot mess in hot Atlanta for your Toronto FC this past weekend. A lot of big questions coming out of that game. Uh, but uh, overall, it's uh, it looks like the playoff hunt might be over for Toronto FC. Welcome to this week's episode of Toronto Till I Die. We are back. Well, Two-thirds of us are back. Uh, you're with Mike Newell and Mike Singh, as always. Jeffrey P. Nesker is down with the Rona, unfortunately. Uh, we hope to have him uh, back. We're wishing him a speedy recovery. Mike, uh, I know the both of us were kind of like back and forth a little sick last week. It's why we missed selling the shows. Um, how are you feeling, man? How was your weekend? Um, what's going on in, in your world? Yeah, no, I thanks, Mike. I feel better. A little Mike squared action on today's podcast, which is always a good time. So I'm looking forward to it. In terms of my weekend, man, the first thing I think back to is just more soccer, more soccer, more soccer. And yeah. I know the Premier League games had uh, their games canceled um, or postponed, but I was on MLS duty for covering some CF Montreal on Friday night where they clinched their postseason berth officially. Never a, uh, yeah, never, never a fun thing to write, but I wrote about them. And then I also covered the union on Saturday and the union are, uh, there's something else right that now. That last like, game of the season, I tweeted that out, that last game of this season where TFC have to go uh, to Subaru Park to play them could get ugly because i think they've scored like 22 or 23 goals in three games or something like that something nuts yeah like their that. last like five games they've outscored their opposition 23 to 4 um they are a goal scoring machine right now and they're also on track to perhaps have the second best record ever defensively by any team so yeah you know listening to jim Curtin talk after the game i'll just say their press conferences are their vibes are a lot better right now than the vibes at Toronto FC. So, yeah, good to get a glimpse into, you know, the other worlds in, in Major League Soccer. Um, but always, always my favorite time to to chat about TFC and what's going on because there's always something to talk about here. Isn't that the case, right? Like, even though this team is second bottom of the Eastern Conference and Montreal clinches a playoff spot, everybody still wants to talk about TFC. It's really it's really one of those weird things. Um, but, hey, you know, big clubs get talked about. Um, so on today's show, guys, I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about the Atlanta game. I know we covered a bit of that on Tunnel Club, uh, but we'll go over some bigger uh, piece items that come out of that game. Talk a little bit about the roster build this year and going into next year. And sort of, we got into a really interesting conversation around philosophy and how to build a roster. And is is the way that TFC is going about it, is it the right way? Is there a right way um, in this league? Um, and then obviously we'll talk a little bit um, we didn't get any burning questions uh, from the TFC live audience this week, but that's okay um, because we got some really interesting sort of pieces from the Rogers V1 soccer. Um, I don't even know if it's lawsuit. It's not really a lawsuit. It's more just an application 
um, from one soccer to try to get themselves onto a mainstream platform. So interesting comments from Rogers in their response there. So we'll talk about that a little later in the show. Um, but let's get straight into it, Mike. Um, 4-2 loss at Atlanta. All but sealing TFC's playoff fate. Uh, they most likely will not qualify. Now, mathematically, they're still in it. Um, they, they still could make it. But, I mean, all the all the right permutations, basically everything, all the stars need to align, all the planets need to align for them to make it at this point. So, really, this is about forward-looking into 2023. Would you agree uh, with that general statement? Yeah, I'd say that was that was the case after the Montreal defeat um i still think if they picked up the wins against the galaxy montreal we're talking about tfc that are right in the mix of things for a playoff spot but obviously that's just not what the way the the cookie crumbled and yeah now we're we're looking forward to 2023 which is what i think tfc had a half of their eye on at least or at least one eye on on 2023 um anyways throughout this whole campaign. So yeah, it's uh it's it's bittersweet because we've made a lot of progress, a lot of steps this year towards putting together a good team on the field, but while it was potentially in the balance here in 2022, it just didn't didn't work out that way. Yeah, and it's it uh, it's something we'll ask a later in the show, but I feel like there was up into say the end of June, maybe mid June, a feeling amongst the fan base that yes, this is a rebuilding year. We understand that. And then you bring in DPs and that raises the stakes. And, you know, from the beginning of this season, you know, I've been saying this, this is not a playoff team. I did not see a playoff team from the beginning of the year. I think like the first tunnel club we did at the beginning of the season, just uh, before the, the start of the season against Dallas, I think you asked me if this was a playoff team, and I said no, and you were kind of shocked um, because, you know, obviously Insigne was coming, and we were always thinking about that uh, in sort of the foreground. But I really didn't see enough depth on this team to really say, like, yes, this is for sure a playoff team. And I think that that came to bear in the last couple of games, you know. Um, look, the Italians have been great since they've come. Let's not take anything away from Federico Bernardeschi scored again, another penalty um, in this game, um, you know, was missing for large parts of the first half of this match. But once he started getting his foot on the ball in the second half, you saw some of the good things that this team can do. But I really do think that there are significant depth issues and holes on this team that need to be addressed in order for this team to take the next step that it needs to take. I think we all, you know, we've heard from Michael Bradley and Bob Bradley and from Bill Manning throughout the season that, you know, that this is going to take a couple of windows to just sort out. And I really, I think this game more than any kind of really sort of highlighted that in this last stretch of, yeah, you know, this team definitely needs some work. Yeah, depth is very important in MLS because, well, I guess what I'll say is, they took a bit of a gamble at the end of the year here, bringing in obviously Richie Larea. Although I still, again, I believe there is something more to that, and I'd 
not necessarily convinced he's leaving the club in June, but we'll see how that plays out. It it made it seem like they, they went for it this year based on some of the moves that they made. But taking a step back, that's not necessarily the case because they didn't really mortgage anything that was part of their future. They gave up Ralph Preso, but in return, you get Mark Anthony K, who, for the next four years, who is going to be an important part of your team. Jacob Schaffelberg, sure, who, by the way, is, shout out Jacob, is excelling. Nashville. (laughs) Nashville had another really good game over the weekend, and I'm happy to see Jacob succeeding. But, again, TFC aren't going to be losing sleep over Jacob Schaffelberg. So they didn't necessarily mortgage anything away to build what they had this year. And now we have a clearer vision of what pieces the team now needs to bring in and what te- what areas of the field the team needs to address in order to take that next step forward. But what they do have now is a lot of core pieces. Right, you have obviously your two designated players. You have Mimo, you have Richie, you still have Michael there. If you can re-sign Ozo, you have Ozo, Mark Anthony K. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned Crescito, I probably did, but yeah. then you have three, you know, I guess two gaps on your, your center back line. So we clearly know that TFC need to address that. We clearly know TFC need to address the, the goalkeeping issue. I think we clearly know TFC could probably use a bit of a, a freshening up there at their number nine role. But we know that now, right? And then you mentioned the team having a lack of depth. To me, that's that's the easiest thing to sort of go out and address in MLS because you can fill those pieces with like Nick DeLeon's and players like that that you can... Those are the final pieces I think that you go out and get. And you can even fill some of those with young players, like a Jaden Nelson who has stepped up and shown that he could be potentially here a really good depth piece. DeAndre Kerr as well, I'll throw into that mix. Luca Petrasso. I mean, Jaquil Marcioretti is turning out to be a bit of a depth piece here because he's signed to a long-term contract. And so you have you have pieces here now, a foundation that the team has established to sort of move forward and I think they've uh they've done a good job of kind of getting rid of most of the house in it throughout this year and building a lot of the house a lot of the house yeah like the bricks and the mortar with it too exactly so that obviously was going to take time to do some work and then um towards the future and another thing I want to point out is in order for, for a lot of this to, to go right for Toronto FC through the second half of the year, when they brought in Richie and, and Lorenzo and Bernadeschi, etc., Mark Anthony K, the reality was in order for TFC to go on a run here, they would have had to get lucky. Right? They would have to get lucky on the injury front because we actually have never seen, not for one single minute this year, their ideal starting 11 on the pitch. Not for a single minute. I maybe say the Charlotte game, the first Bernadette. Which he wasn't here yet. Oh, no, fair enough. Fair enough. 
And even that, that was 45 minutes. True, yeah, true. That's all that we've seen the ideal version of Toronto FC this year. So in order for them to have actually gone on a run, they would have had to get lucky. And the reality is, is they didn't get lucky and they got hit in an area in which, as you alluded to, Mike, the team was just not very deep at and got really exposed there in the middle of the park here down the stretch. So you think of it as, as okay, uh, you know, it's it's disappointing as a fan base because there was potential here to go on a run, but it's also not the end of the world because 2022, as we've said all along on the show all year, you're kind of playing with house money because the future pieces are, you know, they still have a lot of work to do, but a lot of the future pieces are now in place and the rebuild is well on its way to potentially TFC setting up as sort of a powerhouse here in 2023. So we'll see. Yeah, and, and one let's talk about one of those pieces or one of those areas that you mentioned that is going to be addressed, and that's that goalkeeping position, right? It's it is the it is the whipping boy, it is the common denominator that TFC fans can hang their hat on every week and say, like, this is the problem, or at least that's the one that that comes up probably the most often, maybe outside of center back. So obviously we saw Quinton Westberg this weekend. Um, saves a penalty in a lot of ways in that first half, kept TFC in the game. Um, and it actually, you know, could have been really bad really quickly uh, for TFC uh, if it wasn't for Quentin Westberg. But obviously we and other shows have talked about, you know, this position needs freshening up. And now with Quentin Westberg getting the start this weekend, you know, have we maybe seen the last of Alex Bono as a Toronto FC player? I mean, He's gotten the majority of the starts the last two seasons. Um, we 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 know all about him. Right? We've talked about all the good things he's the things he's good at, the things he's not so good at. But is it is this now the official? Not official. They may give him one more game, in my opinion. But have we really seen the last of Alex Bono as a Toronto FC goalkeeper? Well, you just answered. You said you said no. <laughs> you still have one more game uh, with Alex potentially. Yeah, I think you know three more games left. I think you you perhaps chalk it up to one. Q Alex. I think Alex thrown a bone uh, heading into free agency this year. Perhaps to just maybe as a little reminder to people that he could be an MLS level goalkeeper at, at some level, some capacity. Um, but he hasn't been lately, obviously. He's been one of his worst stretches here with Toronto FC, I think, down the down the stretch here. Um, regardless, I guess what I'll say is with three games remaining, these are the last three games for both of these keepers here at Toronto FC. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't think a lot of the fan base will disagree with you in that regard in terms of the need of maybe both to go. Um, obviously the, you know, for Toronto FC, I think a lot of fans have obviously looked at Quinton Westberg. They really remember the 2019 stretch, uh, that he played, uh, where he was pretty good for this club. And, and obviously some of the big saves he made in the playoffs that year that carried was the biggest reason they got to the cup final. Yeah. Maybe between him and, and say, an unexpected Laurent Simon center back sort of resurgent for about three months. Yeah. And right. Like nine. 
exactly right three pieces you did well i mean pozuelo you probably you knew you could get something out of pozuelo but those two you didn't you didn't know really um and then even some good play in 2020 but mm-hmm. it's clear that between the both goalkeepers you're not you don't really have a solid number one somebody that you can go to game after game and you know that you can trust game after game and i think bob bradley showed that by you know giving alex bono an extended run then cutting him off then giving westberg a six game run and then putting bono back in and then he goes on a run and he doesn't so so well so now westberg's yeah. back in goal yeah, I don't think anyone's arguing that, right? Like we all know that TFC had had no clear-cut number one goalkeeper this year, and the good news again is, I don't know if I'm just really optimistic because I've turned the page on 2022 a little bit, but heading into this offseason, that's a lot of money coming off the books. I think as a tandem, Toronto FC could have had the top three at least in MLS in terms of tandems, uh, how expensive they were. They invested a lot of money in their goalkeepers. Obviously, Bonos was a bit of a gamble because he was coming off a couple high notes, obviously 2017, and then, you know, decent run, I guess, in, in 2018. And then, obviously, re-up and signed a multi-year extension that would see him you know, get paid what he is being paid today. And then the Q's extension was warranted. You know, he was one of the best goalkeepers, not only for TFC, I'd say in the league. Uh, when he was at his peak, and especially what he was able to do with uh, the ball at his feet, a style that suited Greg Bamming's type of team, we we knew how important Key was to the team. So with both of those guys, the extensions I can understand, um, but now that they have those coming off the books, that's a significant amount of money, and we talked about those death pieces again, that you could spend on MLS death pieces, Mike. Well, I, I look at toronto fc2 right and and you know i tweeted about them we've talked to them a little bit about them on this show you know they're on the verge of cl- clinching their first ever playoff appearance in any league uh that they've played in uh in the next couple of weeks and they have a goalkeeper that they drafted in luca garvin playing decently um for the twos now i'm not saying he's a starter that's not what i'm saying but you have an option to bring him up as a three or as a number two goalkeeper and really focus on trying to find a number one, a solid number one. And there are going to be a couple of them in the free agent market in MLS. I don't think this is a role that you need to go out to Europe to find or go to South America to find, right? I think there's options within MLS that might be available, you know, given the complicated nature of MLS free agency. But uh, there's an opportunity there for the club to really invest in that goalkeeping spot. And in a solid, you know what you're getting out of that goalkeeper week after week. Yeah, and look at Quinton Westbrook. That's a perfect example. How he was discovered as the French second division, right? And they brought him in for a really cheap number right off the bat, and he gave you two solid seasons at that number. So he's a he's a perfect example of, yeah, the, the world is a very, very big place, and I'm sure TFC will be, it'll be a significant upgrade based on what they've received this season. I'm confident in saying that. Yeah, it better be. <laughs> um, uh, just a little bit more, just in terms of sort of the bigger pieces that came out of the game. Io gets back on the score sheet um, in this game. And, you know, no, he, he didn't have the greatest game, but he did what goal scorers do and got a goal. Um, you know, what, 
What do you think his sort of future in the club is? I don't think he's going anywhere, but in terms of minutes next season, especially if they go and upgrade that number nine position, where does he fit in sort of the jigsaw puzzle of this roster going forward? Yeah, it's it's a good question because Io is probably the piece that has, in terms of value, has fluctuated the most here, right? Heading into the off season, he was getting <laughs> he's getting attacked by some some TFC fans because of a cryptic post that he made, cryptic right. comment that he made, and people were genuinely concerned about how he was going to leave the club. And now people are lining up to get this guy out the door. Like it's it's insane how much someone's value can fluctuate over the course of a season. Not to mention a season in which he's coming back uh, from a significant knee injury. Um, in terms of his role, I think he's you've lost a lot of confidence. They found Bob Bradley in Iowa Canola. I think the fan base here has obviously lost a lot of confidence in Iowa Canola. He's what twenty two years old, turning twenty three. So. There's no way that you can write him off this year, especially when he's shown that he is capable of scoring goals at a pretty good clip in the past. Um, it's it's tough because you got to look at this through the player's lens too, in terms of he's a young he's a young player, right? And his expectations would be to get minutes under his belt, right? But TFC's expectations are, they're a lot higher than what Iowa Canola has shown and what Iowa Canola has produced. He's also taken up a, a young money spot, right? A under 22 initiative signing spot. The only one that TFC will have. Is he worth that? Or can you, can you find better value than what Iowa Canola has shown? Or maybe this is just a blip. Maybe this Iowa Canola this one year is just a blip and yeah, he's going to gonna me, return back to his old self. Like it's yeah, like, I, I, so many different ways, right? I know. And I, I get where fans come from in terms of that frustration with him because we all know what he can do. But he's coming back from an ACL, like a serious knee injury. And he only really got back in June, right? Like in terms of real fitness and real minutes. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little early to be to basically be calling this guy out. Like I, if, if you go into 2023 and he's like this in 2023, sure. Yes. Okay. For sure. You, you can really start asking those questions, but I mean, he, I mean, even with the, the knee injury with Jesus Jimenez coming in, he wasn't really expected to get a ton of minutes in terms of being a starter, right? Jesus Jimenez was brought in to be the number nine, um, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, I think I really want to see Io with a full proper preseason where he's not rehabbing a knee injury, you know, where he gets an opportunity to really integrate into Bob's system, really gets to work on sort of the things that we know he can be really good at. And some of the things he needs to improve on, you know, his first touch when holding the ball up, you know, making sort of better runs off the shoulder of defenders, things like that. And then, and then let's talk, let's have this conversation maybe in say June or of next year, right? Because so, if he gets yeah. off to a bad start, then, then maybe we could really start having that conversation. I totally agree with you. The counterpoint I was bringing up is just putting myself in IO shoes. 
this was a guy who had legitimate European interest before going down with his knee injury, right? I'm guessing he's not going to get a very extended run of minutes going into next season if TFC do upgrade, right? Is this the place that he wants to be? So Robbie in the chat, he brings up a, a great point. Is is Io potentially a, a loan candidate here? Right? You loan Io out and bring him back perhaps more confident if he does come back. Is that Poss- is that the yeah. best best thing to do for him? Maybe, but I mean, you you really need to find a place where he's going to get minutes, where he's essentially going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And you just talked about the money that he's on, like how many teams, you know, are going to want to take on that money. You know, we're going to have to essentially eat a lot of that salary in order for him to go on loan, right? And whether that's interleague or he goes to say USL, um, not necessarily. Maybe no? actual like dollar value, but he's only 150 on the books because he's a young money signing, right? right? So it's very cheap in terms of, but you also have a have a team who has that young money spot available. So it would be most likely it's a limited really amount work. of places he can go. And again, the question That's is, a good point. would a team within MLS, let's just say, want to take a flyer on Io Akinola as a significant, like, Basically, somebody would have to take a flyer on him like somebody took a flyer on Julian Carranza at the Philadelphia Union, fighting off the team you were covering this weekend, right? They would have mm-hmm. to be willing to say, like, okay, we'll take a flyer on him. We'll, we'll loan him. Um, there probably might be an, a purchase option at, at the end of it and say, like, hey, if he comes in and performs really well, maybe they they buy him off TFC, right? Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's it, the other it, thing, right, is we talk about his value. Iowa Canola was in trade talks with Toronto FC this transfer window before this really long stretch of play. You're not getting much for Iowa Canola right now, are you? No. No, you probably would have gotten more at the deadline than you will now, right, right. in terms of filling needs. Because in that trade, you're fill, I would suspect they would want a player back to fill needs, right, because you're using a young ass. It, it, it's funny if we're in soccer it's such a different world we normally do deal with transfers and things like that but in this league you're (laughs) dealing with trades like you're dealing like in baseball or something but it's the same idea right you're using young assets to get pieces that you need so let's wrap our head around this so just to sum up i guess what we're saying and i agree with you like everything you've said i think we're on the same page here ideally you give io akinola another season here at toronto fc to get right Right and hopefully yes. refine the form that that once was like with Io when I was speaking to him when he first came back I think it was in April. He told me that the doctors told him it'll take about a year for his knee to feel completely normal. Right, so I yeah. think he's still at, not at a hundred percent in terms of where he once was. The other thing with Io that I think is what's really hurt him and maybe part of it was due to the knee, he's lost a step. He's not as quick as he used to be. And we talk about one of his best traits being on, you know, playing on the shoulder of defenders and being able to run in behind. I'm not sure that's he's as effective at that part of the game as he once was uh, when he was, you know, banging in goal after goal after goal. The part that really kills me with Io is it's his touch a little bit yeah. too. 
right? He's the amount of times he's looking to maybe size up a defender and he just can't because he can't get control of the ball. And that part is that part to me is really frustrating with him. Yeah, and that happened a couple of times on Saturday. But then he also has the ability to to poach goals. So yeah, I'm to be honest, I don't know what Io Akinola is anymore. Like I don't I honestly don't know what type of striker that he is. I don't know how to get the best out of him anymore. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm not convinced by Ayo Akinola as much as I was at the start of the year. Um, I, I still think there is a future for Ayo Akinola on this team. I think, though, to, to some of your points, to counter some of your points, yes, the, the step has lost. It's It's noticeable, but he's still pretty quick. Right. Uh, you know, on, again, on Saturday, he closed down an opportunity where he was able to dribble, you know, try to dribble around a defender. And at a moment, it didn't look like he was going to be able to get around the defender. And then he put on a burst of speed to get around him. Now his final pass uh, was not good. And we lost possession of the ball. So, but that speed is there. I think what two things that I'd like to see improvement in IO specifically one. Yes, you're absolutely right. His touch has not been good. I'd like to see that cleaned up because I think, you know, in terms of the type of striker that he could be, he could be great hold up sort of kind of an old school number nine. I know that's not necessarily the way Bob Bradley wants to play his number nines, but in moments where you need to put a foot on the ball and try to gain possession, if he can hold, you know, he's a big, strong boy, he can hold up defenders. If his touch gets better, you know, you can start to regain or gain possession of the ball. So that's one area I'd like him to see improve. The second is, yes, he's lost a little bit of pace, but it's not like he's all of a sudden become a tortoise, you know, like he's still pretty quick. So I'd like to see his runs become a little bit cleaner and the way that he takes and makes runs. And he's shown a little bit of that. Like he drew a penalty against, I think, New England, where he made a really great sort of run across the center back and all the center back could essentially do at that point is drag him down and, and, you know, cause penalty, right? So he has that ability. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see that improved in terms of just the types of runs that he makes. You play FIFA, Mike? <laughs> Not as frequent as I used to, but yes. So, you, you, so what would you say Io Akinola's pace would be oh, on FIFA? We're going, we're doing rankings. Oh man. We just had a whole, we, it's a whole gate. It's not, not a rank. Right just, now. just, just the pace attribute. I probably Sprint put it speed. in the. I would probably put it in like the mid eighties, like maybe. Oh the, no! You would Mike. put it in the seventies. You'd put it in the. I would 70s. put it in. I would put it in the sixties. The sixties. I would put it in the sixties. That's a little. I don't know about that. He's I not, don't know about that. He's not. Like one you of the put fast. you put like really slow strikers at the sixties. Really slow strikers in like the forties, fifties. Io Akinola is a slow striker, in my opinion. Uh, Io Akinola would be able to outrun most center backs in the league. He just did it on Saturday. He literally just did it on Saturday. I don't know. You're not remembering the play, but he did it on Saturday, 100%. (laughs) Now, again, the thing that ruined it was, one, his touch wasn't great, right? But he was able to get around the center back, knock the ball around him, get past the center back, get out of the ball. And the only thing that kind of stopped him was his touch wasn't great. Right, and they couldn't allow him to continue to drive towards the box, and then he passed this, made a simple straight pass, and put it out of bounds. But like that, you know, like he—that's there, that's in the locker. Like I, like is, again, I, I still think is Io faster the, than than Bernadeschi? 
But I think you're looking at two different things, right? Are you talking about like flat out track speed or are you talking about speed with the ball? Because Federico Bernardeschi, yes, is 100% faster with the ball on his feet. But also just like flat out speed. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think, I think Bernardeschi is probably like low 80s when it comes to speed, maybe high 70s. Okay. We'll agree to disagree on this. Because like, I, I, you got to think about like, what's Richie? Richie's probably like, like low 90s. Maybe. Right? Probably. High 80s, low 90s. Yeah. I would right? Richie, put Io in the Richie runs and... circles around Io and, and Bernadeschi, right? But again, like again, to me, it's speed with the ball versus flat out running speed. I think Io can. If, I mean, I'm just there's not a lot of opportunities where Io is really flat out sprinting. Like, how many times is he going to flat out but sprint he, when he we don't? Bernard playing by himself, like he should be doing that so much more. I guess that, that's, that's the frustration too. Right? Okay, fair enough. Fair. That's that's fair. Um, and that's, but that's what I'm talking about, right? Like if you vary your runs, then you can still get in behind defenders. He can get in behind defenders hundred percent. He can, but not as effectively gonna, as he used to. I think he could, I could still think he can burn most center backs in the league. I still think if he, if he can make a good run, I think he can get by most center backs in the league. How many clear cut breakaways has Io Akinola had over the past 12 months? Like maybe one? A couple where he's put it through on goal. But he's missed them all. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Touch the bed, he missed them all. But, right? But, like, you know, like, I don't agree with you that he's lost face 100%. Okay, so maybe mid-80s might be a little high. I agree. But yeah, the way, yeah. putting him in the 60s, I don't I don't think that's he's That's slander? That's He's not 60s? I, I don't think he's in the 60s. I do not think he's in the 60s. Like, he I would be agree able to disagree. On, on top of pace and just strength, he would be able to to muscle most center backs and outpace most center backs. MLS center backs are a different breed. MLS center backs oh, are... Oh, they're oh, athletic. Pace. I mean, like, maybe there's, like, a couple in, I can think of, maybe off the top of my head, that he wouldn't be able to outpace. Like, maybe, like, a, a Collins in New York or... Yeah. Um, I can't... See, that's the thing. Maybe... maybe yeah, he probably could outpace Chris Mavinga. I think he could. I think he'd take Chris Mavinga. Uh, I don't know. I think anyways, <laughs> anyways, um, thank you yeah. for listening to our Toronto FC tracks. I yeah, guess. yeah, our FIFA 23 rankings uh, debate. I think FIFA um, dropped today too. Shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, look, I mean, obviously, Io is one of the players that are, that is in question for sure. Another that's in question is Daniil Henry. Uh, one of the moves that you talked about in terms of going for it. I know he wasn't in the plans per se, that this wasn't a planned signing. This was more of a reaction after losing Carlos Salcedo. But he isn't really getting the minutes he may have thought. Like, do you think he made the right decision coming back to TFC? Uh, did he make the right decision to come back to Toronto FC? Hindsight? Hell no. At the time, yeah, I thought it made perfect sense, right? Well, was, should he have come back? Let's just put it this way, right? Because let's talk about it in hindsight, right? Yeah, like, right. okay, fair enough. Should should he have come back? No, because he's managed to get about approximately 120, 130 minutes since uh, that first Charlotte game. I think that was his debut. Yeah, was July 25. 23rd. Yeah, so he hasn't even played two full games. Uh, under his belt and during that span especially of late he hasn't looked like a 
very good defender, to be completely no. honest, right? He was suspect on the, I think, third-headed goal on Saturday. Or the, yeah, I think it was the third. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, hasn't really done, and also the slip-up as well yeah. when Michael got cut back. So, yeah, he hasn't done, does hasn't hasn't benefited him very much, right? I think I looked at his his game log. He's played 90 minutes this year. I believe on only one occasion in 2022, he's gone 90 minutes and that was for Canada actually. Mm -hmm. So the bigger question here and the whole for Daniel Henry, was this the this best decision for him to come back has to be seen through the lens of the Canadian men's national team. So I'll ask you, Mike, has Daniel Henry lost his spot on 100%. Canada's national team? A hundred percent. I think he's lost his spot. I think he's lost his spot. Do, do, but and what I think and what John Herdman thinks are two different things. Because I think that there are other players out there that could take his spot based on form. Okay. Will he have a plane ticket to Qatar? I suspect yes. And it doesn't always have to do with form. And it has to do with fit within the locker room. And Daniil Henry is really well-liked in that locker room. For sure. a leader in that locker room. For sure, but there's a lot of really well-liked people in oh, that oh, locker room. Oh, 100%. But, I mean, okay, let's, let's, who, okay, here's a question I'll throw back to you. Who, if, if he doesn't go to the World Cup, who do you think takes his spot? Joel Otterman. So that was the player I had in my mind as well. Okay. But again, when we talk about this team, one of the things they talk about is being this brotherhood, right? And it, it clearly matters, right? Like, it, it's not a throwaway sort of like, hey, we're a brotherhood, like TFC said last year. We're a brotherhood. Mm. But like, <laughs> uh, this is a real brotherhood, right? And Daniil Henry is like one of the Alpha A brothers of the brotherhood, right? So can Joel Waterman suited i'm not saying he can't i'm not sure but he doesn't have the same type of bond with the team that daniel has and i think that matters to john herdman so put him um, on the plane don't put him on the roster bring him bring him along as soon as you're going to bring him in the david beckham he wears a put suit him, on put the him on the training role? staff i don't care where you put him don't put him on the roster at this point point. you're going to a world cup like bring your best squad bring your best players bring what's going to help you guys out in the future daniel henry at this point is not that and it sucks because i also don't think he's been put into the best position to be able to achieve that that is true that right is true. i think this both i don't think tfc have really done him any favors here i don't think he's done himself any favors here so yeah it's a going back to your original question should he have come i think we can say unequivocally right now no and i'd be shocked if actually the last three games here i'd be shocked if he didn't start every one of those games just based on the fact that I think TFC owes him one here as the World Cup's coming up. I think they're committed to playing Lucas McNaughton. So I don't know if, I mean, if he, maybe he partners him at times, that could happen. But it's clear that, you know, they like Shane O'Neill over him. They're going to play Lucas McNaughton over him. Um, it, it, look, hey, Lucas McNaughton's trying to make a last second push to see if he can get into a World Cup squad. If you I can't know. even start over Lucas McNaughton, who's also Canadian, yeah. what makes you Should say you be you going can... to the World Cup? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yes. I, I look. I I do believe that Daniel Henry sh probably should not be on the team uh, going to Qatar. 
I'm just you can't making say the argument. Probably it's a, not. You can't say well, probably not. I, I have a small little window, and, and it is that brotherhood thing that I talked about, right? That's the small little thing. That's why I think Lucas Cavallini, funny enough, might end up being on the plane as well, even though I don't it think probably, he should be on the team either. Uh, there's not many. I, he's better had better options. form, 100%. He's had better form. Yeah. Um, but to me, he's always a right card away. He's always <laughs> uh, he's always a, 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 an elbow or a stamp to the head away. No, true. Right? So, I mean, I think that matters to John Herman. That's why there's this tiny little percent. I, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see my fingers right now, but it is a little tiny. That, that he'll be going to Qatar. That said, on form... 100% Joel Waterman should be taking a spot. No, and you're not wrong because that's why we're having this conversation because mm-hmm. there is a part of it where I, I would say like a 10, 15% chance that he is on that that plane to Qatar. I think what we'll be telling will be this upcoming window, right? We'll see, is Daniil Henry included part of that squad? If he's not, that's probably a pretty good sign he's not going to be in Qatar. If he is, maybe he, he does have that experience and... uh that inside track just based on the fact he did play a role for Canada in qualifying. So yeah, we'll see. It's, it's, it's interesting. Something to keep an eye on. Obviously those games happen in about 10, 10 days, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, their first game against Qatar and then the Monday will be against Uruguay. So yeah, we'll see how many TFC players are there. Yeah. Let's talk about another really quickly before we sort of go into the back into the roster bill conversation. Um, Jonathan Osorio, uh, this sort of mystery, we don't know his body's not right, according to Bob Bradley, whatever that means, or he can't get himself right. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna speculate on what's wrong with those. I have no idea. I don't know if you do, but I do. okay, fair enough. I guess there's two questions here. One, obviously, the contract situation is gonna be one of them with TFC. The second is he if he's fit, he's going to Qatar. I don't think that's the question. The question is. How many games can he possibly get in? Especially now that we're saying this, this club is not going to the playoffs. Can he possibly get in before he heads to Qatar? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's because there was there was times where he was training and then had to take a step back. Um I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Because you you also have this upcoming window, and I know Ozo has definitely tried to get himself right and ready to ensure he is able to participate in this window. Because I know it's incredibly important for him personally to be part of this Canadian men's national team. So these next couple days will actually be telling as the roster does become released, whether or not Jonathan Osorio is on that roster. Um, I don't even think that's a Toronto FC decision. I think that'll become down to Canada soccer and Jonathan Osorio. Mm-hmm. So we'll see in that regard. Uh, rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, we got the final game of the season is October 9th. So we got about a month. I would say he's, he's ready uh, to come back by then, but with the situations that he's going through right now, it's it's always tricky, right? You know, some days you're you're good and some days you're not. And until you're a hundred percent right in order to be put back onto the pitch, um, yeah, you need to make sure you're hundred percent right. So uh, we'll we'll see. It's, it's always tough to put a timeline on these types of things. 
Fair enough. And you can probably read in between the lines of what I'm alluding to based on yeah. the language that I'm using. I know the team hasn't come out and said it. I know Ozo personally hasn't really come out and said anything. So uh, I won't say anything bluntly. Fair enough. And and frankly, sometimes we don't need to know um, in terms of what specifically it is, other than we know that we hope he gets well uh, and that we see him in a TFC shirt for the end of the season. Because who knows? One of these last three games could be the last time we see him in a TFC shirt. Potentially. Potentially. Wow. We don't know. I didn't even think about it that way. But it, yeah, I mean, there's only three games left. Hopefully, he. I would like to see him back on the pitch before the end of the regular season. Um because you don't want a legend like that to go out that way. Uh, we'll see uh, in that regard. Um, all right, let's let's move really quickly into sort of these, again, there's some of these bigger sort of roster building pieces that have come out of not just Saturday's game, but sort of this last stretch. Um, and especially now looking at these last three games as sort of looking forward to 2023. One of the things that I, I, I hear a lot as a debate back and forth between the fandom um, is this idea around does TFC put too much emphasis on designated players in terms of the way that Toronto FC builds a roster, you know, tends to be this, we're going to go out, we're going to make a splash, we're going to spend money. And then we'll try to kind of build around that afterwards. I guess my question really to that, maybe not too much emphasis on DPs, but, is sort of this DP first model then build kind of the right way for the modern MLS team to be building a roster like a long and, and, and the idea is for Toronto C to be sustainable and long running and continue to be competing in competitions year after year. You know, is this the right way for a roster to be built in today's MLS? I'll start that off by saying there's not, many teams that could build a roster the way that Toronto FC have been going about building the roster. And the league itself has changed a lot in terms of the overall floor, I think, of MLS players has risen from where it once was. And then I know you have this in your show rundown notes, but I'm going to take this point from you. You have the top three teams in the Eastern Conference right now, the Philadelphia Union, CF Montreal, and the New York Red Bulls have all taken that sort of, I would call it a new age sort of approach here in terms of, okay, we're not necessarily going to go all out and spend on DPs. Heck, in in Montreal's case, they only have one designated player, and that's Victor Wanyama. Mm -hmm. And he's not even the most important player on the pitch. No, and you're going to invest more heavily in domestic and MLS and CONCACAF talent. Like who's their leading scorer? Romo Kyoto is their mm-hmm. leading scorer. I think 15 yeah. goals, five assists. But then obviously guys like Alistair Johnston and Georgie Mahalovic and Kamal Miller all play really important roles for that team. So it's different, but to be fair, I don't think it's right for us to judge the way that TFC are building this roster now because it's very incomplete. So I think what they, you know, something we've debated up many times in this show, was it the right time to sign Insigne? Was it the right time to sign Bernadeschi? 
or a Bernadette, a Sydney. I think our resounding answer has always been: if those players are available, you have to you have to bring them in when you can. And Sydney, in particular, and Bernadette were both free transfers, right? Because they were out of contract. So I think, yeah, you go out and you bring those players, and you and then you figure it out from there, which is kind of what TFC are doing. Right. So, yeah, I, to answer your question, is this the right way? I think it is. When you have the money that TFC have, they still have an open DP spot. So it's not like they've put all their eggs into this one basket already. They still have some flexibility in that regard. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I think the easiest pieces to add are going to be those depth pieces to kind of surround the Insignes and Bernadeskis. Because another thing we're overlooking is just how much more attractive TFC now are to playing and you know now team now players want to come over and play with the insignes and bernadeskis of the world right it's i think people can see if you take a step back the project that tfc have sort of started here and the trajectory that it's on and how ambitious really this club is so especially when you're coming off a season like 2021 where tfc we're what drawing 7,000, 5,000, 7,000 fans a night. Obviously, some of that had to do with the pandemic and restrictions mm-hmm. and all of that and people's level of comfort. Uh, you need to go out and make a splash. So even from a commercial aspect, I think it, it made sense for them to to bring those guys in. And yeah, I, I do think this team's heading in the right direction. Fair enough, I guess. I think the, the debate out there is obviously this idea around building a long... I don't want to say long-term because like, look, you can do uh, a Montreal and try to build, like you said, through CONCACAF players, through MLS domestic players, through domestic Canadian players. But already those, some of those players are already going. Mihailovic has already been sold to Europe, right? They're, they're potentially losing some other players. Alistair Johnson, I don't think is long for Montreal. Mm -hmm. I can see Kamal Miller not being along for Montreal either. Right, especially if they're both on a plane to Qatar and play somewhat well. So that's one way to build a club, obviously. And looks CF Montreal's had a lot of success this year. I actually chalk that all up to Wilfred Nancy and the way that he manages the team. Um, then the talent, well, the talent's really good. Also, the um, East is really bad. True. It's <laughs> also true. Uh, the East is quite bad. But I mean, again, I, you look at a Philadelphia Union. I guess I could see, I can understand why those envious eyes are out there, right? They go find these young players. They have a great academy pipeline that's, you know, you can lose a Brendan Aronson, you know, you can lose uh, Matthew Fontana, you can lose some of these young players that they've lost, you can lose a, you know, a, a top scorer, and you just fulfill them with the academy kids, and you you have great scouting in Europe and find, you know, uh, another player, and bang, you're you're still top, and you're you're right in it to win the supporter shield this year. So I can understand that. I, I guess would TFC ever really be in that realm? Do you think? Uh, no, I don't think they'd, I don't want to say ever. Cause obviously anything can really happen and philosophies can change and the league could change. And obviously ownership could change their, their view on how they view TFC overall. But this current mindset of TFC, I think is what TFC, uh, I think that's their foundation and what makes TFC TFC, right? Is even when we're second last in the Eastern Conference, 
Toronto FC is still very much a significant talk of, of MLS. They're the buzz around MLS because of the splashes that went out and made, right? Because of the names that they have, the pieces that they have. Let's face it. TFC is still the biggest club in Canada, even yes. though uh, Montreal is doing a lot better. Like, think back to that infamous uh, Kamal Miller quote, right? After yeah. their game here in Toronto, he's like, all the talk in the media was asking us how we're going to cope with TFC when TFC should be asking, how are they going to cope with us, right? He's agitated that fact because TFC is still the, the talk of the town and for good reason, right? It's because they bring in really household significant names and unless Montreal is able to do this for a prolonged period of time where they keep their core group together, then it's always going to be this way in my opinion. Right. And I, and I think there's, look, there's that sort of big club. Should they always go be signing people in this other idea of let's grow organically quote unquote. Um, and let's, and let's find that uh, MLS talent or find youth talent in the Academy and really build that way. I've said it on the show. I've said it on the Tunnel Club. You've said it. I'm pretty sure as well. TFC is a big market in MLS in terms of being able to attract players, the type of signings they make. Like it or lump it, this is a big club, and they're going to always. If you're going to have a choice between, as I said on the show before, if you have a choice between developing the next Alfonso Davies or just going out and buying Alfonso Davies, Toronto FC will go buy Alfonso Davies yeah. every time, right? And, yeah. and that's just how TFC is. And I don't know if realistic, like, okay, like the hardcore fans, like the really, really hardcore fans that are really into like analytics and all that kind of stuff, like I am, will probably be like, oh, but you could have found Alejandro Bodoya for, you know, Five hundred thousand, good pull. I know, man. I know. <laughs> but like you know, like you could go find that guy for five hundred thousand. Why are you paying this guy through? Well, you know why? Because like you said, commercially they pull people in the state. Like look at the stadium. Look at this year. This year yeah. is a perfect example, right? Yeah. The first stretch of the season. Well, you know, me, you, and other people were all really invested in this team and watching some of the young players for the first time. By summer, we couldn't wait for Lorenzo and Sunye to debut because we want to raise the quality of football overall on this team and. You do that with a flick of the finger if you're Toronto FC, and you, like you said, you take that every every single time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I and now having seen the Italian live in person, now it took me a month before I could. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't replace that. Like, you know, they say money can't buy you love. They didn't buy you a Bernadeschi. You know, like that. That's just the reality of things. And you know. I do believe that TFC do undervalue the MLS slash domestic market a little bit um, in terms of what they can bring to the team. Uh, so the, I think this offseason is going to be very interesting because obviously you have Bob Bradley who has that knowledge within the league and has a lot of connections to what you would kind of, kind of consider MLS lifers, um, but guys who really can contribute to a squad like this. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what levers he pulls uh, to try to bring some of those players and into the squad. In addition to that, Mike, is the new international roster spot rule puts P TFC in a better position than... Hey, you're going to have to explain that for people because there's a lot of people I don't think that are aware of what that is. Well, just off the top of my head is obviously it used to be, I think you had seven international roster spots, meaning you could only sign seven players that didn't have a 
either a green card in the States or a Canadian citizenship. Now that for Canadian clubs, that's been expanded to, I think, 10 or 12 uh, for Canadian clubs itself. As well, it's easier now for players who were internationals to get their Canadian citizenship or whatever the card is. or Yeah, there is their PR card, yeah. Lose that status, right, in whatever the international status. So now TFC can go out and get a lot more internationals as opposed to in the past, and they can actually get more internationals than the rest of of MLS here. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, they're in a, a good position in that regard when it comes to not having to just invest in MLS, U.S., Canadian talent. They could really sprinkle in U.S., Canadian talent and invest mainly in talent from overseas. So just their talent pool gets a lot wider in terms of these depth pieces. Right. And, and, you know, I think there's this sort of, I think a lot of that talk came from the fact that, Hey, look, we, when we went on the run in 2017 and when the trouble, the big pieces that came in in 2016 and further into 2017 were mainly domestic pieces. Obviously Victor Vasquez puts you over the top in terms of that quality but mm. the the Drew Moores, the Beta Shores, the Will Johnsons, even though it was just a season, Clint Irwins, you know, you found these domestic guys, even like an Armando Cooper wasn't domestic MLS wise, but you know, within within Central That's the America, perfect right? analogy. Right? right. It's those type of players that we're missing now, which exactly. again, in my opinion, is easier to get than the Lorenzo Insignes and the Bernadeskis and Oh, for sure. I just again it's always that wonder of whether or not TFC have really scouted that market well enough to find the right fits where you can find the players. I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, but there's, you can find those players. It's just having you scouted them enough to know that they're the right fits for what you want to do. And that's the thing we're going to have to kind of rely on Bob Bradley and the, and the scouting staff at TFC uh, coming into this off season. Yeah. I think that if there's one thing that TFC have been pretty good at is bringing in those, those types of players. Um, and even Bob Bradley, obviously, over the course of his career, I think he's a guy who obviously knows how to to build out a pretty dang good team. See LAFC, mm-hmm. and I I do have a lot of faith in sort of what's what's to come here. And another thing, a lot is it I've said this before, but the the needle's moving in terms of how good teams are, right? So why Victor Vasquez in the past would have been a unbelievable signing and a really a sort of an unrealistic signing i think those types of players are becoming a lot more realistic in fitting under a salary cap so i think we're going to see a lot more of the victor vasquez-esque time signings and perhaps even more than one victor vasquez signing to come over to tfc uh, in the future especially because tfc again is an attractive place to play in my opinion moving forward fair fair enough see lafc CLAFC agreed. I think some of those guys are being some of those guys he signed to that LAFC team that have been really important for them. I think they become free agents uh, this offseason. So it'll be interesting to see if he pulls into the old Rolodex and Rolodex. Who has a Rolodex anymore? They just have (laughs) it on their phone. Yeah, it's all on iPhone, right? Um, Yeah, he just pulls out the phone and that's a great point. And not only that, like like Gareth Bale is on allocation money, although I know he'll be a DP moving forward, but those heads of players, Ricky Pooge absolutely destroyed TFC yeah is an allocation money signing 
So those are the types of players. Obviously, Ricky Pooch is a little bit of an exception. And yeah, maybe there's a little I, bit I, more I, to I, that. I want to see the math on that. Uh, I want to see the math on that. Hey, <laughs> listen, TFC can do math themselves too. I'm just saying shenanigans. That's all I'm saying. Shenanigans. But yeah, the bars the bars moving in terms of MLS becoming a more attractive league for whether it be younger players or older players to come over where they don't necessarily just need a bag to come over. So we'll see who uh, DFC end up bringing over these next this next transfer window. Fair enough. Uh, last sort of point in this segment, and then uh, we'll we'll sort of move to the last segment and wrap it up. Just obviously, I kind of alluded to this earlier: the idea of you know you sign these two DPS, and I think for a lot of fans, the competitive timeline shifted. Instead of twenty twenty three, it's like right now we gotta. We got to maximize these guys right now, even though you know they're not exactly like ancient. You know, they're they're <laughs> they still got they got a lot of juice in their legs. They're okay, right? But I guess uh, are we a little too impatient for success as a fan base? Um, because you know, the, again, up until June, everybody was like, "Rebuild, this is fine, it's okay. We're we're getting the young players in. They're going to get minutes." You know, if Insigne comes and we make a run, great. If they don't, okay. Like, it's 2023. Now, over the last month, it's been like, if we don't make the playoffs, everything's a failure, and we have completely wasted Insigne and Bernadeschi, which is nuts, but that seems to be a theme up there. <laughs> um, so are we too impatient for success? Uh, well, listen, when you bring in the Richies, you bring in the Insignias, you bring in the Bernadeskis, Crescitos, Mark Anthony K, expectations become raised. Right? And the reason why I think people are let down a little bit is because TFC did have increased expectations once you bring those guys in. And we got a taste of what this team could look like against Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Albeit, Richie still wasn't playing in that game. And as I said earlier in the show, we haven't had we haven't seen a single minute on the pitch where every one of TFC's ideal starting 11 is on the pitch. Right. So I think part of this frustration stems in that is that there was a possibility here where they could have gone a run, although they'd have to get very fortunate and very lucky in terms of, of injuries, which they just didn't. Right. And I get why fans are frustrated. I get the frustration, you know, even, because there is there's a lot more potential there than what was shown. You know, the results didn't justify, I think, exactly how good TFC could have been. I think it justified based on the players that were on the pitch, but I don't think it necessarily justified how good they could have been, which I think is just the main frustration and just also the ways they lost games down the stretch. They were sloppy. Particularly against, you know, I think New England was a little bit sloppy. And then even the New England game where they missed the penalty and then the Galaxy, and then Montreal. So just those ways stings a little bit more um, down the stretch. But yeah, every fan base in the world is like this, where you have a a portion of the fan base that tends to overreact a little bit after uh, some disappointing results. But as we talked about, one eye has always been on 2023 with this team, and that's just... uh, that's just the way the market is, especially when you bring in guys like Insigne and, and Bernadeschi, right? And I really felt that acutely after the Montreal result. Because obviously you go up 2-0 in the first 10 minutes at home. And you think, okay, they make it one, but we can ride this out now with the talent that we should have on the pitch. Or maybe even score another one. 
and then the wheels just literally fell off. Almost as soon as they kicked the ball after the second goal, the wheels literally fell off. And I and you I I was in the stands and I could I was frustrated and I can feel the, the it was palpable the frustration the the how in the hell has this happened kind of for energy sure. That, that, that's that's, that was there. But that's not unrealistic. That's a team going up 2-0 and yes. blowing a lead to your rivals in a game that essentially defined their season. That's be as frustrated as you want. I'm sure TFC were just as frustrated with themselves. Mm-hmm. No, right? it, I don't think that's unrealistic. No, I don't think that's unrealistic either. Um, who knows? Maybe I'm just a, a little bit more an optimist in terms of like, oh, but right, I, get what, I can no, quickly I, step behind and see the bigger picture. But yes, 100%. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I think, yeah, just the fashion in which they lost some of the games and just the potential that this particular group had, especially when you look at their best 11, they they did not live up to expectations this year. That being no. said, as we've said, it, it was house money they're sort of playing with. So, uh, yeah, you're able to take a step back. I'm able to take a step back. But some people, you know, see that as a missed opportunity, which I, I totally understand. And yes, TFC fans, any fan base reacts, overreacts all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, United win two games. They're back, baby. They're back. Let's go. Okay. You're open. Anyway, uh, all right. So let's, uh, we'll, we will not get into that um, travesty of a call. Uh, we'll close out the show with, um, with a little bit of a different turn and track here. And, and this one is just, it caught my eye because it just came out today. Um, but for those who may not be aware or don't follow this very closely, there's a sort of ongoing battle with one soccer for those that know one soccer, obviously, if you follow the Canadian premier league, that is primarily how you will watch, uh, the league, unless you're going to games every week. Um, and, and where, you know, the Canadian championship cup matches are played, Etc. Basically, the service that a lot of you either really like or are really annoyed with. Um, they are. They have put forward a complaint to the CRTC uh, in regards to essentially not being picked up by the major broadcasters. Specifically, in this case, they've targeted Rogers um, and saying that there is somewhat preferential treatment towards Rogers Sportsnet and Sportsnet One. Um, long story short. They want the CRTC to essentially, you know, make Rogers carry one soccer as a channel on a cable package. Um, I don't think it's going to go very far, but that's that was filed probably about a month, maybe a month and a half ago. Uh, Rogers has responded and uh, they fired some shots. Let's put it this way. Um, I won't read the entire thing. It's 16 pages. John Molinaro has, um, and I think uh, Steve Sandor, if you follow them on Twitter, they have links to the actual uh, document that Rogers has released or had to be publicly released uh, in the hearings. But basically one quote kind of sums up their argument in regards to One Soccer, and I'll read it here. It says, one soccer does not merit a dedicated linear channel on our BDU, so business directed units, I assume, um, because it offers little compelling program and holds only a modest number of broadcast rights to games that our customers would want to watch. Um, 
for a lot of people that follow Canadian soccer, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's the national team, which one soccer holds rights to, for World Cup qualifiers, friendlies, that might be something really hard to listen to. I guess, Mike, just it, I don't know how much knowledge you have on this or how closely you're following this, um, but what are your general thoughts just in terms of this one soccer platform? Is it a way to really grow the game in this country? You know, where do you think this is going? Because it's it's a tough one, I think, for a lot of people as well. Not just for one people who watch one soccer, but people who are have been crying out for Rogers or Bell to carry more soccer in general. Yeah, I do have some insight into this. Um, it's it's a big question though, right? Because first, let me say I admire one soccer a lot and their ambition and what they've done to grow the game in this country i think it's they stepped up when no one else would right right they are one soccer is not the problem here whatsoever in order to grow the game in this country I don't want to say it's not, it, it can't be just on one soccer. Because I think ultimately what grows the game in this country will, will be results. And will be essentially the Canadian men's national team. And this isn't to discredit the women or anything like that. But the reality is, is a rising tide raises all boats. And the men's national team in terms of the viewership and everything that they attract... Um, I think that's a little bit ahead of where the women are. So I think if they are able to push boundaries and draw interest into, like, look at this World Cup qualifying run, right? It was it was special, right? And we had so many, we've introduced, when I say we, I mean just being Canada soccer and the Canadian soccer community and the men's national team and the women's national team. When you look at these past just over a year, going back to when the women's, won the the gold medal mm-hmm. right and what's followed the men's national team obviously qualifying for the world cup as well we've introduced the game to so many casual fans that's the best way to do it right it's results now in terms of making it accessible it's a, it's tough like it, it's really tough because i do see roger's side of things where I don't necessarily agree with their line of thinking, but I can understand it. What's really going to attract viewership is World Cup qualifying games or World Cup games. But the caveat to that is World Cup rights, it's owned by Bell. It's not owned by Rogers. So at what investment is rogers really going to make into into this because i believe one soccer signed a 10-year deal back in 2018 off the top of my head with yes with canada soccer soccer yeah with canada soccer which then encompasses the the premier league csb the game premier league and obviously 
they've now signed a deal with CONCACAF to, to do some rights with their games as well. But essentially, those are the major properties there. So how many people are actually going to be watching what's to come for from which is their biggest asset is the national team games how many people are actually going to be watching that alone well that's part of what roger said in their comments was that you know the national the men's national team you know when they go through the last qualifying cycle they had 14 games they don't play a qualifier like a meaningful qualifier until after 2026 so they're like we get our on the 14 now and by that time the deal expires yes that by that time the deal expires correct and in, in the major thing they said it was look the the main thing that they would want out of it is the national teams right they want the women's and men's national teams right the cpl is one thing um and look they didn't have let's be real they didn't have great comments about the cpl but their real focus is on the national team and their national team their their sort of thoughts on the national team was like look they only have qualifiers the real games we want are the qualifiers even the friendlies they're like yeah friendlies they want the qualifiers and you only get a certain amount of them and you only get a certain amount of them every cycle so why should we invest in this if all they have really the main thing that is really going to drive these ratings are these qualifiers that they won't have again until after this deal's done and, and after 2026. Yeah, so that's essentially the gist of, of Roger's argument, although they put it in much meaner terms, guys. It could have been nicer. <laughs> were, it, was, it was a bit savage. I was like, whoa, okay. Like, they're not messing about here. They really aren't. Yeah, so... Um, like, it's it's tough because I think... It's, it's an argument of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Rogers is saying, we want to wait for the chicken. Well, the egg makes chicken. Won't, won't, won't really hatch unless <laughs> it gets Rogers. So yeah. it's you're kind of in this sort of conundrum here where I think as since we're so in it, it's easy, it's easy for us to say, this is a soccer country, yeah. right? I think it has the potential to be, but we're never going to know unless we get the the broad exposure. What is True. Rogers Rogers Sportsnet specifically over a million eyes a night? You never get those numbers on one soccer, no. right? You get a fraction of a fraction of those numbers. I think they reported in their comments two hundred twenty thousand subscribers, maybe at this point, and I don't know when they pulled those numbers, so. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, I think it's it's disappointing as Nicholas is saying here in the chat. Like he thinks he thinks they're being disingenuous with, and he's talking about Rogers here. They're being mm. disingenuous with their arguments, their gatekeeping, and stopping a possible competitor. Which yeah, that's certainly one way you could look at it. And then you have Giancarlo here saying Nations League, Gold Cup, well. Those happen how many times? They only and even happen then, every two years. And how often that, are you pulling that? Right, and and I think the argument that they also kind of make—they don't make it up explicitly in the in the document, but they'll you know they'll go back and say like, look, we did carry the Gold Cup back in the day on television, and no one watched that. 
Now, obviously, the national team was a very at a very very exactly. Different place That's another thing at too. that time. That's a hundred percent true. And they always but, have this chip in their back pocket, Mike. Where yeah, if the games get good enough and exciting enough, they can strike a deal and bring the games on Sportsnet, like they did yeah. during their Canada's World Cup qualifying yeah. run. Yeah, right. They always have that chip in their back pocket and that chip up their sleeve. So what's really forcing them aside from? I think it would be altruistic, really. If they did it, it, it would, would be, be altruistic. Well, it would be 100% altruistic. But I also that think is not Roger, that's not the business Rogers is in. I also think realistically, there was Nicholas again, he said this that these are the same arguments against the Raptors a long time ago. Where I think we're, the way that we view the national team today is drastically different than the way we viewed the national team five years ago. The, gate, yeah. the way we viewed soccer in this country is drastically different than the way we, we viewed soccer in this country five years ago. Yes. What's gonna, what's this going to look like in 10 years? So maybe it is worth making that investment. But then you also have the caveat again to the deal is going to be expiring. So is it really worth bringing on one soccer? So, yeah, there's there's too much to it, in my opinion, to, to really give a, an honest assessment here. I think there's a lot of moving parts. And unfortunately, a lot of it just it comes down to business. A lot of this comes down to business. Like, like in the end of the day, outside of the national teams, the real property one soccer has is the Canadian Premier League. And look, I'm biased. Obviously, I work for Premier League. Like, the the football is good. It's worth investing in. But Rogers do make the argument that attendances aren't at a level that makes it in their eyes, really a palatable, uh, you know, offering that people will want to watch on television. I will counter that by saying they put poker on television, and I'm telling you, there, I, I are there really that many poker fans out there that is making the World Poker Tour a thing that you want to slot in at three thirty in the afternoon on a Thursday. Um, who knows but i see i do actually see both sides of this mm -hmm. um obviously i think you do still need consistent preferably domestic soccer to be on television cable television consistently for it to grow i know and they mentioned this again in their in their findings or in their comments that every major league that is a that has been available have all gone to over the top services essentially right the premier league's gone to fubo or, or fubu or no, fubo fubu huh. um uh it's gone to fubo you know champions league's on the zone you know we, we all know in canada right if you want to watch a league you're gonna have or watch multiple leagues you're gonna have to have like eight thousand different subscriptions or go iptv right so their argument is all well, look it, it, they're just not investing in soccer overall. No, enough. right? They, they even say themselves. They, like I think they said Rogers between their flagship, so Rogers Sportsnet One, um, Sportsnet World Three Sixty. Overall, I think it's like one point two percent of whatever they show of their entire catalog. It's one point two percent is soccer related. To us as soccer people, that is insane. But from a business perspective. You know, 
there's a reason they weren't willing to pay like sport, like Rogers wasn't willing to pay for the premier league when they lost their rights. There's a reason TSN then didn't pay to pick up the rights when the got the premier league. And it's because the and these foreign entities can throw a hell of a lot of money at these leagues. Well, I'll be interested to pick up this conversation after the world cup this year. Let's see what the buzz is like then. Because right now we're talking about it and Canada hasn't played, the men's national team at least, hasn't played a game in months. Yeah. And they played one friendly that was oversh- overshadowed by uh, disgruntled, yeah, exactly, disgruntled uh, players association. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's one that we're going to, I think, continue to talk about for, honestly, I think it's one we're to continue to talk about for years to come. I don't think this is the end of this sort of discussion and we'll just keep an eye and we'll have any updates if anything does come to light from this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for those listening out there, keep an eye out there again, John Molinaro, Naro, Steve Sander, they've posted the links um, from the CRTC. So if you want to take a look at the document, there is a condensed 16 page one that you can get. There is also larger documents. If you really want to get into the weeds on that, um, feel free. Uh, we'll wrap up today's show. Um, you know, thank you again, everybody, for listening into today's Toronto Till I Die. Again, we're wishing uh, JPN uh, speedy recovery from the Rona. Send him a nice message, make him feel better um, with a little chicken soup from the Twitter soul. Uh, if you want to do that, <laughs> um, we'll be back next week with another Toronto Till I Die. Um, again, sort of taking a quick look at this weekend's match against Orlando in Orlando. Uh, Tunnel Club will be on again as well uh, with a uh, a day of show on Saturday night. As always, if you're listening to this on podcast, if you're hidden here on YouTube or on Facebook, you know, like, subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a review. It really does help us in terms of we're trying to we're trying to bump ourselves up there and, and get ourselves into the top uh, soccer podcast in the country. So we really appreciate. Uh, all the listens, the reviews we've already got. They're fantastic. Uh, So again, uh, thanks a lot. On behalf of Mike Singh, my name is Mike Newell. Thanks for listening to Toronto Till I Die. We'll see you next week. Peace. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC Till I Die.